Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we discuss, educate and talk about industry news and hot topics, company reviews and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International. With a career covering nearly two decades, Mining International partners with new and junior miners and larger predominant players in the market. With no further ado, here is your host, Rob Tyson. Hi again, it's Rob from the Dig Deep, the Mining podcast. And today I'm conducting my first international podcast where I'm in the Middle East meeting a client of mine who I've known for about four or five years, I'd say. What country do you think I'm in? Well... I'm in Saudi Arabia on the east side of the, the uh, country in a city called Daman. We have another great guest, an interesting guy that, like I said, that I've known for, a f- for about four or five years. He's got over 35 years experience in the mining industry, starting off his career in his hometown of the United States before working in South America, Africa, um, and he's now the general manager of Saudi Comdat, a mining contractor here in the Gulf State. So let's get straight into this, and I want to interview and welcome Rodney Lacey. Hi, Rodney. Hi, hi, Rob. So thank you for the opportunity in, in inviting me to uh, the head office and obviously the site yesterday um, and meeting some of your team there. So I just want to start uh, start this off and give the audience a brief background of, um, of basically how you got into mining. Sure. Well, first off, you know, uh, we welcome you coming to Saudi Arabia and, and giving us an opportunity to uh, to show you around a little bit and, and to to tell you a little bit about myself. I always yep. love talking about myself. Yeah, that's you know? good. So, um, I I got started in mining. I actually got started in uh, in uranium mining in our in our local area. Uranium yep. mining was very big. It was underground. Uh, this was all before the Three Mile Island incident. Okay. Um, I worked so in, whereabouts? Whereabouts? In, it's in a little place called Gallup, New Mexico. Okay. That's, uh, I, I wasn't born there, but I was raised up there most of my life. Yeah. My father had uh, his own construction business and uh, had dump trucks. Okay. You know, but uh, I didn't want to follow in those footsteps because it was really seasonal work. You know, yeah. and I mean, I, and I wanted to do something different. I'm actually first generation miner in uh, in my family from both my mother and my father's side. Okay. Which is which is and and uh, which is interesting. So you wanted to do something similar, but not obviously you didn't want to exactly. drive trucks. But you saw probably mining as something you, that is quite similar, but not but exactly. More you know, I mean, technical. I uh, I like the idea of being able to to work in a non-office environment. You yep. know, be you know in an industry that I thought you know was 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 pretty good and it was very strong at the time. You know, I, I worked for uh, United Nuclear in uh, in Gallup, New Mexico, and uh, I started off there as as a fitter. You know, I uh, I graduated I graduated with a mechanical engineering degree, and uh, we worked uh, got my first job with him working in the shaft. You know, doing shaft work yep. and, me- and mechanic work on the on the mobile equipment, and. Uh, at the time, there were there were several underground uranium mines going. I mean, it was a very booming business. It's all in the in the Gallup, New Mexico, Grants, New Mexico area, which they call Ambrosia Lake. Yeah, very rich uranium deposits. So I worked in there from the early '80s, or no, from the late '70s to probably about the early '80s, and then I moved on into surface mining. Yeah, you know, and I, my first surface mining job was with with Peabody Coal. Yeah. In Cayenta, Arizona. Again, following the fitter trade, I continued. I continued that line of work for quite some time. Um, I left from there, went back to uranium on a small decline mine. Uh, so a lot of my career has been based in in uh, coal and and or uranium, you know, yeah. bulk commodities kind yeah. of things. And how, I was going to say, how did you find the difference from working underground to then working in service mining? Well. There, there's a lot of difference, you know. I mean, one of the things that, that I can say is there's definitely a difference between the people that you meet underground and the people that you meet on surface. Okay. The guys on the, on the underground, they seem to be, they, they, they're, they're the kind of guys that really, if you can say, they grab life by the throat kind yeah. of thing, you know. And uh, they're, they're, very, they're very hard-working guys, yeah. you know. And they're very passionate about what they do. And anybody who works underground can understand what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, 
once I got to the surface mines, I thought, well, this is probably a better place to be. Yeah. You know, um, I sank shaft in uh, a place called Mount Taylor for Gulf Uranium. I was working for Harrison Western. And it was about 3,600 feet in the shaft. It was extremely hot, extremely wet, you know, and uh, it was just one of those kind of places that you thought, well, you know, something happens here, you're, you're not going to make it out. Yeah. And uh, so I went, to, I went to the surface mines and then uh, haven't looked back since. Haven't mm. been underground in many, many years. Yeah. I, I look back on it fondly because I learned a lot. I learned a lot from the guys that I worked with. Yeah. I really have a lot of respect for the guys that do underground mining. I respect miners as a whole. You know, we're yeah. a family and a very close family. Yeah, you know. I suppose if you had your perfect career, if you look back and said, "What is the perfect career?" and I know a lot of the UK guys, because obviously limited mining in the UK, went over to South Africa, and most of them all started off in underground mining. So um, yeah, I suppose a lot of those guys would uh, be able to understand your situation where yeah. you came from. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it was a it was a good experience for me. Mm. I was a young man. I was I went in there when I was about 19 years old. Yeah, you know, and I came out when I was about uh, 24. So mm. you know, we did about five years underground, and uh, it, it was a, it was a good experience. You know, yeah. and I got into the surface mining, into the large coal mines. I worked. I actually worked for the Pittsburgh and Midway Coal Mining Company, which at one time was the 15th largest coal producer in the United States. We were we were eventually bought and owned by Chevron. Okay. So I did yep. about eighteen years with uh, Chevron, what we call Chevron Mining. Yeah, and I got my first opportunity to go overseas. It was in Indonesia. Yeah, and as a coal mine, as a superintendent there, and, and it, was uh, that with Chevron? No, this no. was with uh, Tease Contractors out of Australia. Okay, you know, I mean, this was in two thousand and uh, two thousand and two. You know, so uh, it was. Uh, to me, going overseas and getting into the expat role was a life-changing experience yeah. for me. What, what made you go overseas? Was well, it just an opportunity presented it and you grabbed it? It was with Chevron where I was at, it, my growth potential was very limited. Yeah. You know, um, Chevron wanted to exit, their strategy was to exit the non-core business, which was mining. They were looking to sell off the mines. Um, there wasn't much growth potential there. So I looked, I looked overseas and saw that, you know, there's, there's a lot of opportunities out there. It's, it's very difficult to get into the overseas market. Yeah. But once you're in and you've proven yourself, then, you know, you become a very marketable person yeah. in, in there. And uh, so I went to work for Tees in Indonesia um, and I worked with Tees for two years in a, in a mine called Satui. And then I uh, worked for about a year with uh, Calton Prima Coal okay. for the yep. mine itself. Yeah, the owner. You know, um, left Indonesia and then went to Colombia, South America. Now my family lived with me in Indonesia on the yep. last year there. I took when I, I took my family and we moved to Colombia, South America. Yeah. And I worked for uh, Drummond Coal there. An excellent, excellent company to work for. You know, a lot of great guys that are there. And a lot of great guys that are still there. We, uh, we was lived that in, out, outside of coal? No, that was in coal. The, the, it's it's, coal. it's uh, the second largest coal mine in Colombia. Um, we, we, we spent about three and a half years there in, in Colombia. Got some very fond memories of, of Colombia. I wanted to become more marketable in getting out of, getting out of coal. I went into copper. I went into copper in Zambia. Yeah. Well, my timing couldn't have been worse. It's about 2008. We hadn't quite got, got into the, uh, the global financial crisis yet. I was there for about uh, six months, and then the bottom fell out of everything, as yeah. you well know. Yeah. The only place that was, was still going fairly strong was Australia. Australia. Yeah. But copper had gone from $5 a pound to less than $3 a pound in a matter of about six to eight months. Yeah. So there was, there was not a lot of opportunity in there. In, uh, mm. I worked for Concola um, Mining. Yeah. You know, the, the, I could see that there, you know, the, the potential there was not going to be very good. Yeah. You know, so uh, left there and uh, did my first. I did my first entry into Mongolia. Okay. Working yeah. on a working on a on a coal project there, and it was on a on a big drilling project, <clears throat> just a little bit uh, east of Tavan Tolgoy, which is their large coal mining property. Yeah. And again, 
you know, the funding was really starting to dry up. This is this is Met Coal, but again, it's like I said, 2008 global financial crisis. There's just not a lot of money to be spent. Mm. So left from there, went on into back into the U.S. into coal. Worked yeah. for a company called Walter Energy, and uh, it's a well-known company. Uh, we I was director of their operations for all their small surface coal mines, and uh, it was a good job. Uh, Alabama's a lovely state. My mother was actually born in some of the areas that we had mines okay. in there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so it was, it was almost like a homecoming, as, yeah. if you will. And uh, I've met a lot of great people down there in Alabama. Yeah. Was, know, my, was the mining still pretty, pretty strong during that period it, in it, it wasn't. I mean, mining was, was still, it, it, was, it was being affected all yeah. across the United States. I mean, you know, more, more regulations that were coming in uh, from, from the federal government. And quite frankly, it was costing a lot of miners their jobs, whether it, and especially in the Appalachia region, which they considered part of Alabama. Yeah. And uh, it was, you know, it was pretty sad to see what was happening in that area. Uh, Walter Energy is a great company. You know, great company. They they were in business for many many years. They got caught up in the downturn, and uh, met pol- met coal prices got really soft, and uh, they ended up uh, becoming insolvent and selling off pieces of their business. Um, I left from uh, Walter Energy and went back to Mongolia for my second time, yeah. and uh, worked in Mongolia with my family living there. I worked there for about another three years. Yeah. Um, Mongolia was probably one of my favorite places okay. in the entire world. Um, you know, why was that? It's a, it's a relatively small country. You yeah. know, the people there are extremely friendly. You know, they're, they're very outgoing, they're very hardworking, they're very passionate about their country. I'm married to a Native American, a Navajo Indian, and a lot of the culture in Mongolia is similar to the Native Americans and the Navajos that I yeah. grew up with. Yeah. So it was very, I fit in very easy there. Yeah. You know, um, I, I have a lot of friends still back in Mongolia. But again, now then we, we, go, we advance forward and we're into about 2012, latter 2012, early 2013. Now then we're into the second wave of the global financial crisis, which yeah. affected everyone, yeah. China included. Yeah. And our biggest coal customer was in China. Yeah. So um, Australia was, was, was falling out of the market. China was, was slowing down. And I had an opportunity, believe it or not, to come to uh, Saudi Arabia and work, uh, work for a contracting uh, miner here. Yeah. And, uh, and I took that opportunity. I never thought I would be in the Middle East yeah. mining. It was the and last not, place I ever thought I'd be. as well. Eh? And outside of coal as well. And outside of coal as well, yeah. you know. And I, so it was, a, it, was a, it was a pretty big leap of faith on my part. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, it's turned out to be a very good move. You know, moving overseas to me has been probably the equivalent of getting a master's degree in college. Yeah. You know, you learn so much. You know, I've learned a lot from probably, I think, what are probably some of the best miners in the world, and that's the Australians. Because hmm. I got to work with a lot of Australians when I was in Indonesia. And, you know, it just continued my, my, my education, if you will, you know. And I, and I take something from every place that I go. I bring something to every place that I go. And, uh, you know, I've been, I've been into a lot of situations, a lot of different areas. You know, some of them pretty harsh conditions. Some of them a little bit uh, would be considered dangerous. Most of them isolated. Uh, but, uh, you know, you, the thing that you get the most out of is the people that you meet, Yeah, you know, and, and there's some really great, there's some really great people out there in mind and some really good men and women that, that do this for a living. And, uh, you know, I respect them more and more every day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't recruit in the United States, so I'll be interested to sort of get your views on how, how mine is different in the United States compared to, I suppose, any of the countries that you worked in, I wouldn't say necessarily the Middle East, but some of the countries that you've already worked in. How's how's mining different in in United One States? One of the biggest things that you'll see the, the the biggest difference that I've noticed over the past probably fifteen years, maybe even twenty, is the regulations the the regulations that are imposed by the government. Now I'm I'm not talking I'm not talking regulations that soften 
health and safety or environmental because every one of the foreign countries I've worked in have had pretty stringent health and safety rules yeah. and they've had pretty stringent environmental rules, you know. But in the United States, uh, I see that there was there was just a lot of overreach by the government okay. in, in the mine. And uh, to give you an example, for quite some time, there was not, you, you had to bond your mine for reclamation purposes since 1977. And there hadn't been any bonds released on coal mining properties since that started. Okay. The other, the other thing about American mining is that um, it's a very regimented type of mining that goes on there, which, you know, there's a lot of, there's, a, there's not very many juniors in the mining industry in the United States. So they're all big players. There's all big yeah. players there. Big mines, you know. Mm. When I was with Pittsburgh and Midway, we had uh, seven active mines. You know, so you had companies that had several mines. You had an opportunity to, to move to different yeah. to different mines and just in, can increase your knowledge. The, the, skills, the skill level that I've found in the United States is quite high. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, some of the engineers that I've worked with and had the pleasure of, of supervising there, some of the finest engineers I've met in my travels around the world. Um, but I, I would say if, if just the biggest difference is just the governmental regulations and a lot of the foreign countries now, they're welcoming mining as a boom to their, as, as a boost to their economy. economy yeah. Whereas the U.S. Is a, is, a, is a mature economy and they look at mining as, as, as something that's, uh, you know, not quite needed at, now. Yeah. Because they can get things somewhere else. Somebody, yeah. else can, somebody else can do the dirty work and they'll, they'll reap the rewards. Yeah. So, you know, mining was one of, those, one of those fields that, you know, someone asked you what you did in the U.S. and you're a little, you're a little apprehensive to tell them what you were doing. But, yeah. you know, so, and, and I see mining to a certain degree still struggling in the U.S. Yeah, you okay. Know, a lot of good people out of work. Yeah. Know, a lot of good people out of work there. Yeah. Well, hopefully we can bring some over here. Oh, <laughs> it'd be my pleasure. Do you, do you have many expats in in the United States? And the, that, that, that will include Canadians Yeah, as well. you know, there's not, there are, there are some. Yeah. You know, like I said, probably some of the best miners in the world are Australians. Yeah. And, and, and believe it or not, there are some Australians that, that work in the U.S. The, you know, where you see Peabody used to have a, yeah. a BHP, it was BHP had a program to where they would send some American lads over to Australia and some Ameri and Australian Vice guys person. come to the U.S. Yeah. on an exchange program, sort mm. of, and uh, they would work there. So, so there are some expats there, mm. but they're, they're mainly with the larger companies. I, yeah. I don't know. I think BHP, they, they quit that quite a while back. Okay. And I'm not, I think Rio Tinto still does it. There, yeah. there's, some, there's some expats working yeah. in the Rio mines. Well, I suppose you've got, good, you've got a good skill base there within, within the United States Absolutely. that you don't need to go overseas for, yeah. for that expertise. I suppose it's giving a helping hand and giving people an opportunity to go and work in the United States. Uh, that, that's, and that's right. Probably more. You know, and that's, that's, that's what this was more about, was yeah. helping develop the person. And, you know, you would think that when the guys go to, the, go to Australia or wherever they would go, they would bring something to that, to that mine, and the guys from Australia would come to the U.S. and they would bring some of their expertise. Yeah. You know, so. um, obviously, you're the, the general manager. Um, I suppose what I wanted to ask you is, do you, what key skills would you think you need as a general manager? Well, you know, people skills, number one. And, and a general manager of a contractor. Yeah. People skills. Yeah. You know, you've got, to be able, you've got to be able to understand people and you've got to enjoy working with people. I consider myself a people person. I, I, I don't necessarily put the job over the person. I mean, we have a job to do. And we all have we all have our issues in in our own in, in our lives, but I like to think of myself as a people person. You're yeah. you're more than just an employee to me. Yeah. You know, we spend more time with our employees than we do with our own families. Yeah, certainly. And you've you know, you you've got to be compassionate on some of these things. So you know, you you number one, you've got to you've got to have the desire to want to help guys. Yeah. Number one, you know, I think a well-rounded background in mining helps not just from the operations side but also from the maintenance side or yeah. the processing side you know i think to be an effective general manager you know you need to have those basic skill sets yeah 
You need to have the skill sets of budget. To know what's actually happening out there in the field and, yeah. and making those yeah, decisions. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, a lot, a lot of guys that, that come into these roles here, they lack some of those, some of those tertiary skills that are in maintenance. Mm. You know, like I said, maintenance uh, is, is, is a huge area of what, of what we do. Um, engineering, mm. you know, so you've got to be able to get a you've got to be able to get a, a diverse background on a lot of that, you know. Yeah. And uh, you got to love mining. You got to love what you're doing. You yeah. know, I mean, and uh, for for contract mining, it's it's one of those it's one of those issues to to be a general manager of a contract mining company. You've got to know how to budget. Yeah. You know, and I'm talking from the very you know how many how many tires you're going to use to how many liters of fuel you're going to use, and you know. You've got to understand it. You've got to be able to control it. You've got to be able to look at your profit margins. You know your earnings before taxes. Those those kind of things. You've got to understand a certain amount of the financial sides of these mm. things. It's one thing to say that you know you've you be, you become a general manager, but it's another thing to understand each and every role that goes into mining, whether it be contract or owner operator. Mm. And uh, that, that's been a big help for me because I've been able to develop these skills over a number of years. Yeah. What would you advise would you give someone that is maybe a step or two away from being a general manager? What advice would you give them to maybe improve on and what they should focus on in the event for them to become a general manager? Get involved. Yeah. Get involved in the company that you're working with. Go into the other areas. You may be an operations guy, but Get involved in in the maintenance side of things. Get involved in the engineering. By that way, get involved. Volunteer your time. Mm. Go to them. You know, uh, we all have lives. We all have families. But if you really want to, you really want to better yourself. You get involved with some of the other departments and say, "Look, I want to help. Where can I be of value to you?" Yeah, and obviously you'll learn by watching other people what they're doing. Exactly, you're going to just increase your skill base. Yeah, and the other mm. thing is further your education. Yeah. I can't stress that enough, you know. Um, Anything in particular you would say? Well, you may have your bachelor's of science, or, you know, in engineering. Uh, I, I stress to all the young graduates now, get an MBA. Yeah. Understand the business side of the business. Yeah. You know, and I, and I stress that a lot, you know. Um, there's a young man that, that works for Westmoreland. And uh, that's one of the things I pointed out to him. Well, mm. now then, he's uh, he's an executive with Westmoreland, yeah. and he's got his MBA. You know, yeah. so I think volunteering, when volunteering of yourself at the at the company that you're with, in you different know, areas, that that's a big you're area. Not exposed to. And yeah. and and continuing your education. Yeah. I mean, I think that's very very important. We've got autonomous trucks and autonomous drills, and you know. Autonomy. That's you know. Mm. I mean, that's 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 the way this that's the way this industry is moving. Yeah. Learn about that. Yeah. You know, those are those are some key those are some keys, key roles that they're going to be looking for people in. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, so yeah, you know, the the, the general manager. You know, you know, it's uh, it's one of those it's one of those roles to where you've got to know enough about everything to be able to to, in my opinion, function. Yeah. You know, you've got to be able to know how to tender on a project. You've got to know what goes into that. And that's there's a little bit more to that than meets the eye. You yeah. know, I've been very fortunate that, uh, you know, as you've met earlier yeah. in the day, you know, my colleague Graham Marriott, who's, yeah. who's done this for quite a few years. And I've learned a lot from him. And that's the other thing about being successful. You've got, everyone has something to offer. Even yeah. the worst boss you ever had in your life has got something to offer for you to learn. And you've got to learn from that. You've and got if to you learn can take little experience. bits from other people, um, that just getting, just increases your skills and knowledge. And um, that's something you need to take Absolutely. away. Absolutely. Mm. You know, I mean, mining has evolved to the point now to where, you know, we call it the 1950s mentality doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And, you know, mining is a, is a, is a gender-friendly business. And... You've got to be able to conduct yourselves in a manner that's professional. You've got to be able to conduct yourself in a manner that, you know, would make your family proud of you, your wife, your daughters, your mother. Um, you know, I'd like to see more women in mining. Mm. You know, I mean, I, I think they bring a lot. Yeah. You know, I really do. And I just don't think that there's enough women involved in mining now. Yeah. 
Um, and again, I suppose it probably would start them going into education, learning a mine engineering degree, learning about geology, learning or any discipline that you that uh, you wish to choose to, to study. But it's actually, I think it probably starts there by getting them into a exactly. qualification and then obviously advancing, advancing yes. from there. You know, I mean, uh, in, in Chevron, we were a very diverse area and we mm. had some, some excellent engineers, both male and female. And, uh, you know, we just needed to keep growing that side, that side of the business. And, and like I said, I just, I would like to see, number one, I'd like to see more young people getting into mining. Yep. I think it's a very honorable trade. I think it's a, it's a, it's a trade that it's, it's, a, it's necessary. You know, mm. the old saying is, if it can't be grown, it has to be mined. I was, well, just, about, I was just about to say that. Um, someone said to me the other week, everything around you is as either been mined or everything that is around you is either been mined or has been uh, ag- through agriculture yeah. so people don't necessarily understand that's outside of mining don't actually understand the importance of mining um, but it plays a big part in everyday life everything around you everything that we do we touch we feel yeah. we drive you know i mean we look at the electric cars now and how much of that is mm. is mining? It's yep. all mining, you yep. know. I mean, you know, the copper that goes into it, to the lithium that goes into batteries. I mean, so yeah, so getting the young people into mining, getting mm. you know, coming into the mining engineers, getting some of them that that uh, okay, if you don't want to go to college, go to a, go to a trade school, go mm. to a good trade school, become a fitter, become a welder. Yep. You know, I mean, college is not for everyone. Yep. But you know. We're gonna need we're gonna need uh, we're gonna need those guys that can and gals that can work on the trucks. Yeah. We're gonna need we're gonna need people that can weld. You know, there's there's a lot of other trades in mining, but mm. I want to see the I want the young people to know out there that you know this is this has been a life that's been very very good to me. Yep. You know, now a lot of my brothers and sisters in my extended mining family haven't been as fortunate as I have. Yep. You know, I've been able to continue work for for many many years without interruption. Mm. Um, but uh, some of them hadn't been as fortunate. So that gives mining a bad rap, whether it's yeah. in Australia or the United States or wherever. You know, the young people get in, they w- work for a year or two, then there's a, there's a layoff and they get laid mm. off and then they go into a different industry and don't yeah. want to come back. And don't mining. necessarily come back, yeah. yeah. You know, so, so I encourage them, come into mm. mining. I mean, it's, it's, it's a growing industry. Yeah. And, you know, mining is going gonna, is gonna to be here for the long run. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Right, I want to uh, go on to now talk about Saudi Comdat. Um, and obviously you've been here for since 2013. Um, obviously I went round the site yesterday, very enjoyable. Um, really, really got a, a good insight as to the operation, how it works. Obviously meeting quite a few of your employees as well. Um, all very friendly, all willing to learn. Um, so yeah, I just want to talk about Saudi Comdat and um, and how the operations sort of developed since you uh, since you started. Well, Sa- Saudi Comadat was a was a creation of, of three three companies, the Alkatani Group, which is our Saudi owners, Comadat Jordan, which is our Jordanian owners, and Kears Mining. Yep. So people in the, the UK, UK will probably know that. Yeah, Kears Kears Mining and Comadat Jordan bought in the mining expertise. Yep. In, into into this company. And it was formed with those three partners. And Kears decided they wanted to exit the mining industry. So they did, and that left us with, with two principal owners, uh, the Al-Qahtani Group, based out of Saudi Arabia, and, and uh, Comedat Jordan, based out of Jordan. Comedat Jordan is a very large contract mining company inside of Jordan. They've been, they've been in the contract mining business since about 1954. And uh, it's been handed down from from uh, the father to the to the children, and uh, they've done a very good job at growing the business, and also helping us grow our business. Uh, Saudi Commandant right now is, without a doubt, the largest contract mining company inside Saudi Arabia. We employ either directly or indirectly close to 500 people. In global terms, that's small. But in mining terms inside Saudi Arabia, it's, it's very large. Yeah. Uh, we mine phosphate here, uh, which is made into fertilizer, and they make uh, phosphoric acid out of that as well for, for food. It's food-grade phosphoric acid. 
Um, Saudi Arabia has a very large deposit of phosphate. Yeah, which it's, we were talking about yeah, earlier. Yeah, it's extremely yeah. large. And uh, it's, it's a business that, that's only going to continue to grow. Um, there's, two, there's two phosphate mines in Saudi Arabia right now. We're in the largest mine inside the kingdom and will probably remain the largest mine in the kingdom. There's another mine that's north of us that mines and processes phosphate yep. for Ma'adin, the, you know, the Saudi Arabian mining. Then there's going to be a third phosphate mine open up in the same area. And once that happens, Saudi Arabia will probably become the third largest producer and exporter of phosphate in the world. Yep. And that's, a, that's, quite a, that's quite an accomplishment. Yeah. Um, I got into this in about 2013. Uh, we were still relatively small. Uh, we were doing probably about 11 million BCMs a year. Uh, this year we're going to do somewhere in the neighborhood of 26. Yep. Next year we're going to do somewhere in the neighborhood of 27. So you can see you know, we've more than doubled our growth since, since I've got here. Now, yep. um, th a lot of that has come just from the increase in demand for, for, for phosphate. And for fertilizer, and a lot of that's come from our client, you know, being willing to grow their business and expand, and you know, so it was really a it was a good time for me to come into the business. Yep. The general manager that was before me, he was a he was seconded from Kears. He was ready to go home. Uh, I was looking for a, looking for a change, so it you know, I ended up here, and it's been a good move. Yep. Saudi Commodat's a great company. Yeah. You know, our owners are our owners are, are, are very, very reasonable. You know, they they understand mining, especially the Jordanians. Which helps. Yes. It's, it's very important that they know what yeah. we do and why we do it. Because mining is not cheap. Yeah. You know, I mean mining is an expensive is an expensive proposition. And it's not know? always straightforward as people may think. It, it's not. Yeah. You know, I mean miners, good miners make the job look easy. Yeah. And people from the outside look at it and say, oh, well, this is not very difficult. Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of moving pieces to mining. And I liken it to a crap game, yeah. a dice game. Yeah. When you're standing on the outside, everything looks fast and furious, and you're not sure where all the money is going. But once you step up to the table, you learn. And yeah. You learn where, where all the odds are and where your money is going. And, you know, and, it, and it becomes a very interesting life. Yeah. You know, so, but like I say, Saudi Commandants is, 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 a, is a small contractor in global standards, but a large contractor in, in Saudi standards. We bring to this market um, what we like to call first world processes and practices, health and environment being one of them, being yeah. a health, safety and environment. We're very strong on that. You know, um, we celebrated over 5 million man hours without, yeah. a, without a loss time. We, um, we bring in technology that we've learned from other places. You know, I mean, we've got 23 different nationalities working for us at Saudi Commandant. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we've got a very diverse management team. You know, we've got guys, obviously, from America, from Zambia, Africa, South Africa. We've got guys from Australia. And the UK. Uh, the UK. <laughs> we've got guys from Mongolia. Yeah. You know. So it's, it's a very diverse company, you know, and very diverse backgrounds. And I think what that does to you, it gives you a diversity in ideas. Yeah. It's just like the old, uh, the old adage, if, you know, if you hire all the same kids that graduate from the same university, you're never going to improve. So yeah. you try to be diverse in your hiring practices. And it's the same with the mining. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Moving on, I am, um, which is probably moving on to the next question, is what is, what is it like working in Saudi Arabia? Obviously, I, from my initial uh, my initial thoughts, Saudi is probably pretty new to pretty new to mining, um, and obviously like a developing country. And obviously, you've been here for five years. What what would you say it's like working here in Saudi Arabia? When and especially, I suppose, also sorry, also Saudi Arabia is known for their oil. Yeah, I was going to say that when you, when you different. say Saudi Arabia, yeah, you know. The first thing that comes to everybody's mind is is oil. Because somebody asked me, well, where do you work? I said, I work in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. They say, oh, are you in the oil industry? I said, no, I'm in the mining. And they get this funny look on their yeah, face. Yeah. They say, mining? Yeah. And what are you mining over there? And I said, well, we mine phosphate. I said, but there's a lot of other minerals here in Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia 
is a, is an untapped wealth of minerals. Yeah. You know, as I said earlier, you know, they've got massive, massive deposits of phosphate. Yeah. They've got gold. They've got copper. They've got lead. They've got zinc. They've got uh, bauxite for aluminum. Yeah. You know, they've got iron ore. Which was all new. To, which was all new to me. Yeah, I mean, we you know, earlier. yeah. So there's a lot more going on here than oil. Now, yeah. oil obviously is what is what Saudi Arabia formed its economy on. Mm-hmm. But as we told you earlier, you know, Saudi Arabia through mining, you know, excuse me, through the plan, the economic plan, 2030, yeah. they want to develop mining. Yeah, you know, and that's that's one of their big big plans. They want to be able. To, they want to be able to diversify. They've got the three pillars. Yeah. They've got oil. They've got tourism. We're talking mainly religious tourism because yeah. of Mecca and all the the Islamic followers that go to go to Mecca, where it's Hajj or they go for the Umrah. Yeah. There and in mining, they want it to be the third leg of the economy here, mm. and uh, the 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 king and the crown prince have made it uh, made it their goal. To expand mining and to take some of the money that's coming in from the oil, and grow the mining business. Makes you good to hear. Yes, mm. so it's 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 an extremely good time to be in mining in Saudi Arabia because yep. we're growing. Yeah, um, Saudi Arabia as a country is a great country. It's it's very well developed. You know, you, you could say the word Saudi Arabia and you hear some. You, you first thing you think of is the negative connotations that come true, but. I'm telling you, you know, as we're sitting here looking out the window of the office yeah. here, you wouldn't be able to tell that you weren't in Brisbane. Yeah, yeah, true. Or, or in, uh, or in a, any other city in in the United States. Yeah. You know, uh, the the Saudis are quite Westernized. They're very well educated, and uh, you know, uh, this is this is a, this is a great country. Yeah. I mean, you know, it is. What challenges would you say you've had to overcome here? I suppose in the Middle East that are probably different than some of the other countries that you may have worked in? Some of the regulations that we yeah. have here, you know, as we talked earlier, with what well, we need to do our business, explosives. Yeah. It's a highly Lasting, regulated yeah. industry here, and, you know, everybody understands why. Yeah. Um, it was like I said, funny yesterday, I saw out on the site the blasting going on, and um, you've got police police there watching it absolutely where you probably wouldn't have that in any other country absolutely you know the ministry of interior controls controls the blasting here mm. and they control the you know the import and the export of explosives and the handling of explosives yeah. and, and that and, and you know they do a very good job of it but then it but might limit it's 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 it's, a, it's, it's yeah. very it's very limiting on on your business at times yes mm. and you know I think as the country develops its mining, they will also develop the explosive regulations that go along with it. Yeah. Because listen, I mean, I've worked, I've worked in some pretty dicey places, and they weren't dysregulated. Mm. You know, so so I think that'll come. Yeah, I, I do. Again, you know? it's I suppose through education. Um, Absolutely, and as we said before, you know what we're trying to what we're trying to encourage here in Saudi Arabia is the formation of. A mining association, yeah. you know, to where you know you've got industry professionals working alongside government officials to help improve the mining industry as a whole and help expand that growth, yeah. you know, and that makes it that makes it more marketable to the rest of the world to, yeah. to come in and want to invest money in Saudi Arabia. Mm. Um. So where would you whereabouts are Saudi Comdat now? What what is the future for the company? Well, we're we're in a good place. Yeah. Um, you know, we're 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 currently on the largest project in Saudi Arabia. We've been awarded a second eight year contract there. We've tendered on a bauxite bauxite project. We've tendered on a gold project. Uh, it'll be a greenfield. The bauxite's a brownfield. The gold is a is a greenfield. Um, there's another phosphate mine uh, that they want to put in. It's a good time to be. Yeah. It's a good time to be Saudi Comedad in, in Saudi Arabia. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, uh, the growth potential for us is 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 very exciting. Yeah, I mean, it is. Yeah. Um, and lastly, any sort of a, anything you've learned along the way that you may have done differently, uh, wh- whether that's yourself, whether that's the company, um, anything, any sort of lessons. 
Are you talking specifically Saudi Commandant or my career as a whole? No, no. There's a lot of things I'd have done different. <laughs> no, I, Probably, I suppose I suppose working in in Saudi Arabia and, and Saudi Commandant. Well, I don't know that I would have done much different in Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia has gotten what I think is probably the best of Rodney Lacey's experience throughout yeah. the globe, um, and I've been able to put into practice things that I've learned from other parts of the world. Um, you know, there are some things that uh, that I came in that was a little naive about. Um, one of those was was the, the the workforce that's here. Yeah, it's it's uh, heavily predominant on uh, expats. Yeah, you know, a lot of Indians from India, a lot of Pakistanis, a lot of Filipinos. Uh, that's just been the way things have developed in this country. Uh, we're working, and the country's working on diversifying that now and building up, building up their own workforce. Yeah. So I guess that would be one of the things. But uh, you know, in my career as a whole, you know, I've I've learned things from every place that I've been, and hopefully they've learned things from me. And uh, you know, so. Not a lot of things. Uh, not a lot of things I've done different. I, I said I would, but they're not. You yeah. know, um, I uh, just to close this thing off. You know, yeah. I mean, I was a, I was a kid in Gallup, New Mexico, population twenty thousand. Yeah. You know, I lived in a small coal mining town outside of Gallup, New Mexico, called Gamerco. That G A M E R C O. That stood for the Gallup American Coal Company. And uh, you know there were seven hundred people that lived there. I never envisioned myself being a world traveler. Yeah. You know, I certainly never envisioned myself being some of the places that I've been, and uh, I've enjoyed every minute minute yeah. of it. You know, I mean, I had a great career with Chevron. Um, I left that and went went into the overseas, and I've never regretted a minute of it. Yeah. And uh, you know, I encourage anyone listening to this that yeah. uh, if you have an opportunity to go overseas, it's not for everyone. But uh, I think that you take that chance. Don't yeah. believe what you see on the TV and reading the newspaper. Come out here. I mean, you're going to meet a lot of good people yeah. As, yeah. along the way. Yeah, certainly. So, yeah, so anyone listening and hasn't had that opportunity to be an expat, there is things to think about. Um, and I'm probably going to do a, a podcast, actually, from my experience in uh, staying on site for a day, day and night. And um, just, I suppose, my observations as to what um, what what you can expect and differences maybe than working in mining within a mining town as opposed to working as in a remote location in a on a fly and fly out basis in a different country. Yeah, you know, I mean, one of the things that that come to mind is the is is the isolationism. You yeah, know? I mean, you know, you're away from your friends, you're away from a way of life that you grew up with from a child, maybe in a town that you were born in. Yeah. And, and, and that, that can be extremely difficult for people. And all, all those luxuries that you can just probably get popped down the shop for. Go down to the corner <laughs> store and buy your Coca-Cola. Yeah, you yeah. know, I mean, uh, when I was in Indonesia, getting a, getting an ice cream bar with real chocolate on the outside of it, was that was really a treat, you know. Yeah. People hear of the expat jobs that are, that are out there, and the first thing that come to mind is how much money they can make. Yeah. And I'm telling you, if you're getting into this, if you're getting into this for the money, you're getting into it for the wrong, wrong reason. reason. Not yep. that the money's not there, but I'm telling you, the experiences that you have and the and the places that you'll go and people you'll meet, that that will enrich your lives far yep. more than the money ever will. Yeah. You know. It was funny. It, it to, really will. It was funny flying flying from site to here. I was thinking about how I'm going to do this other podcast. And some of the things I was thinking about is people, obviously being an expat, your main, your main reason for being here is training, training local staff. And I'd imagine being an expat, your enjoyment in seeing someone develop skills and experience. And I suppose if you look at someone like a Saudi that wouldn't have any mining experience and seeing how they would develop, develop themselves over a period of time must be very rewarding to, it, to an expat. It is, Rob. I mean, it, it is. You know, I mean, there's one individual that comes to my mind that, that came to us and he had been in a, he had worked in a cement industry and he had a little bit of background on quarry mining, but nothing on the, on the large scale that we do. Hmm. And he's been with us four years, a young Saudi guy. And uh, we've grown him into, into a very prominent role with our company. He's in charge of all of our drilling and blasting. And we're very proud of this guy, mm. you know, and that's right. You know, when you're an expat here, you're a guest in the country and your primary job 
is to be able to take the knowledge that you have and pass that on to your local counterpart. Yeah. You know, and a lot of guys have to remember that, you mm -hmm. know, is that we want them to be able to run their business in their country. Yeah. And that's, you know, wherever I've gone around the world, I mean, that's always been, that's always been key. Yeah. Is, is, is passing on your knowledge to, to the locals. Yeah. And uh, listen, it is, it's a rewarding experience because yeah. when you see these guys successful and, you know, and you see them learning, you know, and you, and to where they, they're out there now and they're making multi-million dollar decisions. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. And you say, you know, we've really accomplished something. Mm. Yeah. We really have. Yeah. Well, that's good to hear. Right, just want to slowly wrap up last five minutes or so. Just a, a quick few fire questions, uh, which I ask everyone that I interview. Why do you uh, enjoy mining? And obviously, you mentioned earlier about having. To, it's not about money doing fly and fly yeah. out. Um, it's about your passion for mining. So, why do you enjoy mining? You know, mining is one of those jobs. It's not a job. It's a career. Yeah. I love I love the people that I meet in mining. I love the I love just being able to do a job to where if you're not outside and you work in an office, I mean that's fine in the mining industry, but you're able to you're able to see your work at the end of the day. You yeah. know, I mean I, I enjoy mining for for a multitude of reasons. I enjoy mining because it's it just it's one of the passions that I have. Um, I enjoy mining because at the end of the day you can you can get a sense of accomplishment. Mm. It's frustrating at times, but I mean it's extremely rewarding. You know, um, I enjoy mining for for the fact that you get to meet a lot of different people in mining. You know, and, and diverse people I, as well. Absolutely. Yep. You know, I mean, and that, and that's the great that's the great deal about mining, and uh, you know, you can make a difference. Yeah. You know, you really can. Yeah. Who's been the the most influential person on your career? Would you say? Ah, uh, there's. There's been a lot of guys, like I said. You don't have to name one. You can name a few if you want. Yeah, well, you know, you can learn out. something from even your worst boss. But yeah. I've had a couple of really good mentors in my time. Um, early on, it was a guy by the name of Michael Provenza, and he's passed away now. But uh, he was he was a, a general manager at one of the mines in Chevron, and I learned a lot from that guy. Yeah. He was he was a very hard guy, but uh, he it taught well. me he taught yeah. me quite a bit. Second one would be an Australian by the name of Barry Shafirius, Baza, as yeah. we call him. Uh, Baza's still alive. Uh, he's retired from mining now, but uh, I've, I've met him in Indonesia. And uh, Baza was a, was, a, was a great role model for me. Yeah. He, uh, he understood mining. He understood people. And as with most Australians, he was a no-nonsense kind of guy, which yeah. I liked. Yeah. You know. um, is there anything else you still want to achieve? Retirement. <laughs> no, well, not just yet. No, you know, I I want to grow Saudi Comedat. I want yeah. to grow Saudi Comedat to a world class contract mining company. Maybe not to the standards of a of a Tees or yeah. Leighton's, but something that you can look back on and say, I can remember when. Yeah. And uh, you know, we have that opportunity here. I have that opportunity. The country's afforded us that. Our owners have afforded us the opportunity to grow. So I would like to continue to grow Saudi Commandant, you know, yeah. two or three more projects and, mm. and become a, a, a true leader in the mining industry inside Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Okay. And where do you see the future of mining? Well, as we've said, I think mining is a necessity. Yeah. Whether a lot of, a lot of our environmental friends agree with us or not, mining is a necessity that uh, done responsibly, it has a lot to offer, you know. Um, I, and I think environment and mining can go hand in hand. You can't, you can't, you know, can't isolate them. You can't have one without the other, you know. Mining will continue to grow, maybe not at the rates that we've seen it grow. Now, yeah. this is the world according to Rodney Lacey. Yeah. I think mining will continue to grow, maybe not at the rates that we've seen them in the past. Yeah. But I, but I do think it'll continue to grow, and I, and I think you know we've got a good future out ahead of us. Mm. You know, the world's the world's getting more populated. There's going to be more cars. There's going to be more electric cars. There's going to be more this, more that. You know, so I I see mining expanding. Yeah, I really do. And lastly, any advice that you give any sort of mining professionals? Um, doesn't have to be young. Could be mid-level mine miners. Um, 
in sort of developing or bettering their bettering their careers? I mean, honestly, keep an open mind. Yeah. Keep an open mind on what you're doing, you know. And remember, it's not always somebody else's fault you're in the predicament that you're in. Yeah. You know, it's you, you sit down and you try to learn everything that you can about your business. Yeah. And again, like I said, and I use the word volunteer, and I, and I didn't use that by mistake. You volunteer to work on projects that maybe are outside of your comfort zone. Yeah. Be brave enough to step out and work into something that you don't, you, you may not possess all those skills. Yeah. That, 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 but you're, you're going to learn. Yeah. You know, and people are going to help you through that. And they're going to see that you're willing to learn. And they're going to take chances on you. Now then, will you get paid for some of that work? Absolutely not. But are you going to reap the benefits down the road? Yes. And that's what you have to look for. You yeah. have to have enough vision to see that if I do this now, this is where it's going to take me later. Yeah. You know, so it's a lot of delayed gratification. Yeah. I mean, mm. that's, that's where this yeah. whole thing leads, you know. Again, it's not always the instantaneous reward. It's yeah. not always the money. Mm that gets you to where you want to be. Yeah. You know, you got to have satisfaction in this life. And like I said, I've been very fortunate. I fell into a, into, a, into a career that I dearly, dearly love. It's made a good living for me and my family. It's put my kids through college. You know, it's put a roof over my head for many years. Yeah. And uh, again, I encourage the, the, the young people out there to, to get involved in this. Yeah. Yep. Well, there's some wise words from uh, Rodney. So, thank you, uh, thank you again for taking the time to do uh, this, uh, to do this podcast and discuss your your journey and giving us an insight to Saudi combat um, and what it's like working in the Middle East and obviously Saudi Arabia. Um, if our audience wants to contact you, how can they uh, go about doing that? You can reach me uh, via email would be the best. That's Rodney Lacey, Rodney.Lacey at SaudiCommodat.com. That's R-O-D-N-E-Y dot L-A-C-Y at SaudiCommodat.com. That's S-A-U-D-I-C-O-M-E-D-A-T dot com. Yep. Are you on any social media platforms? Uh, I'm on uh, I'm on uh, LinkedIn. You yeah. can reach me through LinkedIn. You know, yeah. I'm... Um, I, always, I, I answer all my messages that I get through LinkedIn. So you yeah. can find me on LinkedIn under Rodney Lacey. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, alternatively, you can contact myself via email, which is rob at mining-international.org. Um, well, thank you again, Rodney. Um, and thank you again, listeners, for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast um, from far away in the Middle East. So until next time, happy mining. Thanks for listening to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. If there are any topics you want discussed or questions you want to ask any guests, then you can email us at rob at mining-international.org or you can follow Rob and Mining International on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube for more content and to have your questions answered. Until next time, happy mining! <laughs>